Diecast, the German football pod brought to you by The Athletic. Today, Bayern almost win the title, Dortmund almost draw with Düsseldorf, Union Berlin are almost safe and Schalke are almost good. There's also a new twist in the Werder She Wrote series, their case might come to a satisfactory conclusion after all, perhaps. All of this and more in Stahlkast. This week's guests are two Stahlkast regulars who love talking about football just as much as Lucas Alario likes scoring goals when everybody has stopped playing. Hello Christoph Biermann and Kevin Hatchard. Before we start though, a gentle reminder that The Athletic has all your Bundesliga needs and indeed all your football needs covered. For in-depth features of Bayer Leverkusen sensation Kai Havertz, Chelsea's future striker Timo Werner and plenty of other great stuff, sign up with a 40% discount at theathletic.com forward slash Bundesliga's back. Right, Christoph and Kevin, I think we should start at the very top where Bayern left it late to overcome a spirited Borussia Mönchengladbach. The win really seals it for the title, doesn't it, Christoph? Yes, not really. There is still some uh, theory <laughs> that they uh, uh, that they can be overtaken by Borussia Dortmund, but not in the real life. But we know that for 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 many weeks now. Um, yeah, and now it's eight in a row. You sound happy. No, I, you know I'm not happy about this. I think it's a it's a depressing uh, statistic for for any league. Um, if you if you have a, a team taking the the trophy every season, and um, I think it's a problem that needs to be addressed. But uh, they deserve to win it for sure. And uh, we said it in 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 recent weeks uh, several times. It's an enjoyable Bayern team. It's also a kind of nice Bayern team with players you you can uh, you can like um, so there is nothing to complain about it uh, apart from the uh, general thing that it's too much Bayern over the last years yeah I mean this is something we'll have to talk about and we'll look into into it a little bit more um, in more detail in the next few weeks what if anything is wrong with the league and what can be done about it but I mean as a Falfa Bochum fan uh, there's a strong <laughs> um, f- fan friendship so you're a little bit of a winner as well Christoph yeah I mean uh, with Leon Goretzka um, and and also with Hermann Gerland he is the assistant coach um, uh, he, he is there he is at Bayern for many years but he comes from Bochum he has played uh, his whole uh, career as a defender for Bochum he was also a coach as Bochum and he has still strong links to to the club and the same goes with Leon Goretzka who who come uh, who came through the Bochum uh, academy and he's he is also still a loyal supporter uh, of the club and and you said it there is a a friendship between a set of uh, Bayern and uh, Bochum supporters that goes back into the 70s I mean Bochum is not playing in the Bundesliga for 10 years now and uh, uh, but but uh, so in a way we are a bit in the Bundesliga with the two. <laughs> Congratulations! What's German for clutching um, at straws? Uh, no, I think this is <laughs> this is just um, the be- the benefits of of being um, you know attached to greatness in, yes. in, a, in a spurious way. But um, Kevin, I want to talk a little bit more about Bayern before we go on to Borussia Mönchengladbach. Is it fair to say that this was a fairly underwhelming Bayern Munich performance? Uh, in relation to 
how big the, the win really was. Yeah, I, I think so. But I think what we've seen from Bayern in the last couple of games, if you lump in the uh, cup semi-final win against Eintracht Frankfurt, is that when they have to work ever so hard and when they have to dig in and when they're being pushed, even if you don't necessarily expect that to be the case, uh, I thought Frankfurt gave them a much more tough test than perhaps we expected in that cup semi-final. They can still find a way to win. And if you bear in mind the fact that Thomas Müller and Robert Lewandowski, who've been so important for them this season, were both suspended for that game at the weekend, it was still a real mark of Bayern's quality and their consistency that they were able to come through and win the game against what is a good, talented Gladbach team, even if they are uh, on a bad run of form right now. So uh, I think what we're seeing is that great coaching from Hansi Flick that even when uh, they're not at their best, they can still grind out these wins and that bodes well for them going forward. Thomas Müller afterwards said that he thought it was wrong for journalists to ask about new transfers when at the same time that players have to forsake some of their wages. Is that a sign of things to come? Is there a conflict, you think, brewing between those who are already there who might have you know, taken a hit during coronavirus and those who are coming in, especially at a big club like Bayern? I think there are going to be some awkward conversations. It's interesting that there's kind of been a slight walking back uh, of those comments since or a clarification, if you will. But I think Muller is right to, to air that because, you know, if players are being told that they have to uh, give back some of their wages or defer some of their wages or or lose some of their wages and then a guy comes in for 60 million euro then that's a tough thing to swallow i think in the in the grand scheme of things we will return to these big signings and i think we're already seeing uh, some of the premier league clubs start to flex their muscles uh, but yeah that is an awkward situation it's an unprecedented scenario and it's going to need clear communication between clubs and players because if players feel they're being unfairly treated then, you know, guys like Müller, for example, are going to speak out. And, you know, there are Müllers at other clubs. So, you know, I think it, the clubs have to tread very, very carefully and they have to couch these signings because they are going to make them um, it, it, very carefully. They have to kind of keep the players with them every step of the way, if that's possible. I think it's more or, or might become more of a problem with smaller clubs. I think uh, Müller was, uh, as Kevin was, was rightly saying, he was kind of correcting himself in an uh, interview over the weekend where he was saying that uh, at Bayern, big players are, are welcomed. And um, I think that's the mind frame uh, uh, players at Bayern in general have so bring as many good players in the team as possible so that we um, are competitive uh, especially in international football but I think that there might be clubs in the middle of the table or at the bottom of the table where some players are, will ask themselves and and maybe uh, not only themselves but within the team or with with the directors level of the of the club why there is competition on their position um, that that comes in because they uh, their uh, wages were reduced so that could be an issue and I, I think Kevin is right it needs a, a sensible communication 
uh, with the teams uh, so that there is not a problem coming f from this direction. Okay, for Gladbach there were problems coming from um, unusual directions in this game. Um, Sommerfußball is a cliche we have in Germany whereby we say when the weather gets nice, uh, players start playing badly. But uh, Jan Sommer unfortunately gave it a whole new dimension <laughs> um, on Saturday when he really gifted the ball for Bayern's opener through Joshua Xerxes. Gladbach were the architects of their own demise, weren't they, Christoph? I think it's... Uh, so So Jan Dommer is, is one of the best uh, goalkeepers uh, in the Bundesliga and maybe this season he is the best goalkeeper in the season. And I like to think of Manuel Neuer, who tends... Uh, he, he, not recently, uh, but over the years, tended to make this kind of horrible mistakes, uh, one or two a season, and uh, so very obvious mistakes like the one uh, Sommer made. And uh, But if you have one of these freak mistakes, uh, uh, if you like to call them, and uh, the rest of the season you're, you're very much well above the average or in, in the top with what you're doing, um, I think uh, everybody is happy with Sommer uh, Fußball. I think it's interesting because I think it's a sign of how Bayern press as well because if you look he almost made the same mistake before the goal was scored and he got away with it that time but I think Bayern shut down those passing lanes so quickly and so well that I think it does put goalkeepers who are used to being part of the build-up play used to having the ball at their feet it does put them under more pressure uh, than other teams are able to apply I think. Well Christopher you're of course right to point out Jan Sommer has been uh, superb for, for Gladbach. I only mention it because they also I thought gifted Bayern's second goal when Oscar Wendt failed to clear the ball not once but twice and he's one of the most experienced players in this in this Gladbach side and I think with the Bayern team being not at their best and also missing a lot of key players. Uh, there was no Robert Lewandowski, there was no Müller, there was no Thiago. Coman and Davis were arrested in the first half. I felt that maybe Gladbach should have been a little bit more efficient, shall we say. But of course, they lost Marcus Tiram early to an injury. That's a, a huge blow for them. And maybe the story about their decline, if you will, in the second half of the season and certainly since the restart, isn't so much one of a team underachieving, but perhaps a team being more in line with their real possibilities. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I think there's been a regression to the mean to, to a certain extent. I mean, you even look back at the reverse fixture against Bayern, and they won that game in dramatic fashion, and there were seven points clear of Bayern after that. But even that game, they were played off the park by Bayern in the first 65 minutes or so. So that was an indication maybe already of the gap between the two clubs. And I think we've seen some of their frailties in the last few weeks. If you look at the game against Freiburg, for example, in the Black Forest, they had so many chances in the first half. They didn't press that advantage. They weren't clinical enough in front of goal. If you look at the uh, goalless draw they had at Werder Bremen, who've been so bad at home this season, uh, they actually should have lost the game. And Marco Rosa, the Gladbach coach, admitted that afterwards. So uh, I think we have started to see some disappointing performances from them. And that's not necessarily a big surprise. They've had injury problems. I think uh, Denis Zakaria being out of midfield with injury has been huge for them. 
because he is absolutely critical in terms of breaking up play and then driving them forward. And I think they've missed him uh, more than anyone, really. So that's really damaged their chances in the last few weeks. Yeah, but interestingly, they um, uh, they are still in the race for the fourth spot in the Champions League because there is a bit of limping uh, on, on the on the last meters of the Bundesliga. Um, Leverkusen dropping surprisingly dropping points uh, here and there. Uh, so I, I I would agree they are clearly the fifth best team uh, in in the Bundesliga, but they uh, still have the the chance to to go on the fourth place. So I think we we have a, to wait a bit if we make the final verdict for um, uh, about them. But 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 in in general, yes, I, I think they were overachieving a bit in the first half of the season and now we see more of their real potential. Hello, I'm James Richardson, host of the Totally Football Show, now part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We're going to be here following all the action as the 2020 football season reaches its belated conclusion. And if you're an Athletics subscriber, you can now hear exclusive ad-free versions of our show on the Athletic app. And don't worry, if you're not a subscriber, you can still listen to us for free with the occasional word from our sponsor by searching for The Totally Football Show on Apple, Spotify and all the usual podcast places. The Totally Football Show with me, James Richardson, still totally free and now totally ad-free on The Athletic. Okay, well, we didn't see much of Borussia Dortmund's real potential. They (laughs) just about beat Fortuna Düsseldorf 1-0, a 95th minute winner from Erling Haaland, a great header. But is this the sort of game that will, in a way, bring back some of the discussions about Lucien Favre? I mean, Dortmund were very, very slow. And I think the game registered the fewest shots on target uh, in the whole season. Christoph, what do you think? You're you're a favorista. <laughs> yeah, and I, I I would would let the numbers uh, speak for for Lucien Favre. He had the um, highest uh, number of points per game of any uh, Dortmund coach, and they are second. They have won from the fourteen games of the second half of the season. They have won twelve. I think there is still some frustration about not being the real, the the kind of contender for the German title they uh, were hoping they would be. But and and yes, the discussion will go on because um, Lucien Favre is lacking something um, every Borussia Dortmund supporter is longing for, and that is emotion or let's uh, say it how it is that is Jürgen Klopp I don't know how for how long people at Dortmund want to have Jürgen Klopp I mean uh, I, I don't think he, he will come maybe he comes uh, he will come back at in in uh, some years but I wouldn't expect it and there is no other uh, Jürgen Klopp and uh, but still there is this uh, give us somebody who is like uh, Jürgen Klopp and that's uh, Obviously, still the uh, the measurement for for a Dortmund coach, and I think it's uh, it's also in a way very frustrating for Favre himself. I think you're right in mentioning that. I mean, some of the expectations are unfair, and his first name isn't Jürgen, and his second name isn't Klopp. I think we have <laughs> established that, um, and Dortmund shouldn't uh, attempt to change that. But here's my thing: you talk about numbers. Um, 
Dortmund finished on 76 points last year against a very weak Bayern. There was two points off um, Niko Kovac's Bayern to come second. This season, they added Mats Hummels, Torgen Hazard, Julian Brandt, Gio Reyna, Emre Can, Erling Haaland, and they will, at the best case, finish up with 75 points, which is one fewer than last season. Surely, in terms of the possibility of the squad, they can't be happy with that. I don't think they will be. Because I think you look at the two seasons that we've had under Favre, they built themselves a big lead in that first season over, as you say, an underachieving Bayern under Niko Kovac. And the bare truth of it is they weren't able to see that through. They were giving away goals they shouldn't have given away. Uh, They were losing or drawing games that they should have been winning. And I think in key games, we've maybe seen some of that frailty abide. I mean, I think of the game at Leverkusen, where they were ahead on pretty much all of the metrics. They were in a winning position, but they folded in the closing stages. And that's proved to be a very important result for them going forward. And you look at the Classica, yes, they played fairly well, uh, but they all seemed quite sanguine at the end of it, saying, oh, we were just missing the final pass. We were just missing, you know, that final bit of spark at the end. But that's not really good enough. I think you're right, Rafa. They've made some really big signings and some signings for now, some signings that want to win titles. And they just still feel, to me, a step short. If we look at the second half of the season, with the uh, with uh, Erling Haaland being brought in and Emre Chan being brought in. As I mentioned, uh, winning uh, 12 out of 14 matches. I think Favre solved some of the problems you could see in the first half of the season. So on the one hand side, the lack of effectiveness in in front of the goal. And uh, that was very much solved by Erling Haaland uh, transfer. And also the defensive stability. I mean, there was some, some of these free games where they conceded uh, late goals toward the end of the game, for example, against uh, for- Fortuna Düsseldorf, 17 games back. And um, and uh, uh, these kind of uh, matches were very frustrating. Uh, but but we di- didn't see that that kind of, of matches uh, anymore. Yes, there is this, uh, especially the match against Bayern, where you had the feeling that there is a big gap between the quality of um, the two teams. But I think if, if we talk of um, how uh, Favre has developed a, a team during the season, with the help of the transfers that have been made by the club, I, I think you could say that it's a, a step forward, although altogether um, it might be frustrating. Harry's sponsors Steilcast, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. Jeff and Andy knew that there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five blade brands. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave, weighted ergonomic handle, five precision engineered blades, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. I've been lucky to receive a set recently, and I must tell you, not only does it look very cool, it's also an incredibly pleasant way to deal with three months worth of quarantine stubble. 
thumbs up from me. As a listener of StarCast, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95 for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash stahlcast right now. That's harrys.com forward slash stahlcast. Far less frustrating than in recent weeks were Schalke. Actually, they were really good. Shock horror. What happened on Sunday, Kevin? Uh, well, I've had to reposition my jaw because it dropped so severely uh, after that first half performance that it's taken a while to reset. Um, they they were very good, uh, especially in the first half. Um, David Wagner's hand was forced to some extent by the fact he had nine senior players unavailable to him through injury. And he picked his youngest, or he picked Schalke's youngest, Bundesliga eleven since December 2016. He gave a Bundesliga debut to Jan Bozdoan, uh, who I thought played really, really well in midfield. Some lovely touches, some adventure, uh, which has been sorely lacking in that Schalke midfield. Uh, he also gave Ahmed Kutuju his first Bundesliga start of the season, which I'm delighted about, given that I'm uh, one of his biggest fans. Uh, <laughs> and he did a decent job uh, scampering around in attack. Uh, a bit of speed to that Schalke attack. But I think the thing that was most impressive was the work rate and it was the belief and it was just trying to play, not necessarily succeeding all the time, but trying to play on the front foot, trying to combine. And that's the kind of football that we saw at times in the Hinrunda. And it's nice to see at least the notion of attacking football return. And I don't think Leverkusen expected it, as none of us did really. And I don't think they ever really got to grips with the fact that this was a different Schalke to the one they expected to face. And the game finished with a 1-1 draw and Schalke might have even won it late on when Gregorich had a had a saved. Christopher, are you surprised just how effective uh, this 4-4-2 was? It was a very basic uh, setup really, but Schalke played with organisation, they pressed Leverkusen, they really disrupted them to an extent that I think even Leverkusen thought was not possible because we saw very little of their combination play on Sunday night. Maybe what we what we saw um, at Schalke this weekend could be the key for the future developments of the clubs. Um, um, although they extended their uh, series to uh, 13 games without winning and being the longest uh, non-winning streak in the history, a Bundesliga history of, of the club, I think it um, might show the direction where Schalke is heading to. So that br is bringing in young players, fresh players, maybe with, uh, as you said, simple tactics. Uh, but but doing simple tactics, well organized, and um, I mean, if if we, uh, they they will uh, finish the season somewhere in the midfield, and um, they won't play international football next season, and they won't have any money, so they might probably might be forced to re rely more on younger players, and if these younger players uh, like Kutucu or Abotchuan are able to 
to to compete in the Bundesliga and and give a kind of freshness or it's something vivid again. I think Schalke fans would like it. Um, uh, there is a huge frustration among Schalke fans uh, on many levels how how the club um, has presented it, itself in the um, in the last weeks. But this uh, game could be a kind of turning point. I think Christoph's right. I think there's an optics opportunity here, to use a horrible phrase, but I think we know that they don't have money. We know that they're not going to be able to go and have this massive transfer spree in the summer. If they can move some of the underachieving players on, if they can free some space in the wage bill, if they can present themselves as a mix of players coming through the Knappenschmieder Academy, which is very, very important to Schalke fans, and some of uh, the promising talents from around the league, which in theory would be a little cheaper... I think even if the results aren't so good next season, and I don't think they necessarily will be, that is more palatable. Uh, and David Wagner has a decent record as a as a youth coach. You know, he was uh, the reserve team coach for, for Dortmund. Uh, he was a uh, youth team coach elsewhere. Uh, and I think that might give him uh, a bit of a renewed vigour as well. So I think that potentially is the only way forward for Schalke in terms of building bridges with their fans and looking, you know, as if they're on the up rather than what we've seen in the last few weeks, which has been horrendously bad, fear-filled football that hasn't even been successful. Certainly a step in the right direction for Schalke under David Wagner with that 1-1 draw at home to Leverkusen. But a momentous win for Union, Christoph. Uh, they won 2-1 away to Cologne and they're all but safe. In normal circumstances, this would have been the start of jubilations, of um, lots of fairy tale stories being written. It doesn't quite feel as exciting at the moment without the fans, but it still is a fantastic achievement. It's not finished yet. They're playing Paderborn at home uh, on Tuesday. And uh, yes, uh, they, they they need a point or maybe they need uh, uh, three to, to get through in the end. But but yes, uh, it, it's a bit like with Bayern Munich and the, and the championship. And for Union, it's like uh, becoming German champion. I mean, they, they were... At, uh, with Paderborn, there were the huge underdogs. Um, it was like uh, as if tiny Union was on on visit for a year in the Bundesliga to <laughs> to get a to sniff a bit of the Bundesliga experience and then uh, go back to the uh, second division. But um, no, um, uh, they are they will surely or almost surely be there next season. And uh, yes, it's, I, I think it's one of the, the great success stories of this Bundesliga season. Maybe a bit overseen and maybe also a bit overseen in recent weeks because um, they already um, had more than 30 points before the Corona break and then they were struggling uh, with the restart uh, of the Bundesliga, losing... Uh, the Berlin derby 4-0 against Hertha, uh, losing at home to Bayern and losing 4-1 at Mönchengladbach. But uh, yeah, the, um, uh, the win at Cologne was very, very important and I think a kind of breakthrough. 
And 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 what it is what is Union about? I think you can see it was a very simple number. They completely outran uh, Cologne. They ran more than almost ten kilometers more than uh, uh, Cologne. And um, if you if you uh, I mean one of the typical uh, football phrases is who wants it more? And they obviously wanted it more, and um, they wanted it more than a lot of competitors in um, this season. And yeah, hats off to um, Union Berlin. Yeah, I was on that game for the for the World Feed on Saturday, and I was shocked really by how bad Köln were. I mean, I've done a few of their games since the restart, and there's a real lack of cohesion in there. I mean, you, you look at the fact that they were bottom in December, having lost at Union. And that proved to be a real turning point for them in the end because Marcus Gisdol brought in some of the youngsters. They were pressing well. Um, he's very much a protege of Ralph Rangnick, Marcus Gisdol, and we saw that with their work without the ball. But I think when that does drop, the whole thing starts to fall apart. And they've been giving away so many goals, which is curious because you actually look at some of their individual defenders. They've had very good seasons. I think Tony Leisner's done pretty well since he's come in uh, from Queen's Park Rangers. Sebastian Bornau's probably been one of their best players of the season but there is something missing that spark uh, has faded and they were so sloppy I mean you look at the second goals a perfect example of that a corner which was well cleared but they were so slow pushing out to try and catch Union offside and Christian Gentner well onside smashed away that volley so he's got a few problems to solve there Marcus Gisdol because he has some very talented players there and they're just not working hard enough at the moment. Yeah, they certainly looked a little bit low on inspiration and perhaps on fitness as well. The same was true of Hatter to a certain extent. Yes, they were unlucky that they had Dedrick Boyata sent off, but they really collapsed uh, quite spectacularly. The first real big defeat in the Bruno Labbadia era. 4-1, Frankfurt ran away as winners. Frankfurt playing all the football that they hadn't played for the past few months in one <laughs> game. Um is that the end of Hertha's Europa League dreams, Kevin? I don't think necessarily. I think you're right that they, they were disappointing with 11 and with 10 men, actually. They got the goal through Christoph Piontek, who's found a, a rich vein of form in terms of his goal scoring in the last few games. Um, but once Dedrick Boyata was sent off, then the whole thing fell apart. And in a way, that's not a massive surprise because I actually think he's been their best player since the restart. He's been absolutely superb at the heart of that defence because it's not just about his individual defending, it's about his leadership. They very much uh, had him as the reference point for that back four. So that was a jolt that they never really recovered from. I thought it was interesting that Bruno Labbadia made the point that they made it far too easy for Frankfurt in midfield and they were allowed to play their football. Just wonder as well if it was Frankfurt playing uh, with a bit of pressure off to some extent as well, because they kind of knew they were safe. Um, they'd had the game against uh, Bayern in the cup. That didn't quite go their way, but they represented themselves well. They played well, uh, and they actually played with the shackles off. And I thought Daichi Kamada was absolutely stunning uh, in that second half. The run that he made to set up Andre Silva's first goal uh, was mesmerising and the kind of thing that we know he's capable of, uh, but he just needs to produce on a more regular basis. So I still think Hertha could get something because if you look at the numbers, uh, I think they're, they're in with a shot if they win all of their games from here on in. They go to Freiburg next 
And even though Freiburg have had four points out of the last two games, if you actually look at the way those matches went, they probably shouldn't have got that many points. So I do think there's an opportunity for Hertha to win that game. Uh, and I think we'll probably see just how far Bruno Labbadia has taken them on Tuesday night, because if they can get the three points, uh, they'll need to show a mental toughness that they hadn't had before Labbadia arrived. Well, all eyes on Tuesday will be uh, on Werder. They're hosting Bayern. Bayern need one more win to win this eighth successive Bundesliga title. But Werder are still alive as far as their staying up chances are concerned. They absolutely battered Paderborn 5-1. Uh, the best performance of Werder maybe this season. Yes, it was only Paderborn, but still, they scored a lot of goals and looked really, really good. Was Florian Kofeld justified when he said the table provides optimism before the game, Christoph? Yes, I must confess that I'm surprised that Werder Bremen was so good. They have a real chance not only to go to the um, relegation spot, but maybe even uh, becoming 15th. So uh, avoid direct relegation or uh, avoid the match against uh, the third of the second division. And um, and uh, that would make uh, Florian Kofeld, uh, as we remember, he called himself the, the, the right man uh, for the job at Werder Bremen one of the miracle men of, of, of this season. But but yes, uh, and now we have this typical relegation uh, situation where everybody is uh, counting points they can probably get <laughs> from somewhere. We know that uh, Werder Bremen is hopeless at home and they, they I, I think they don't have a big chance um, uh, against Bayern Munich, but there are still two matches to come and they have a big chance. They are also playing um, at minds and um, uh, uh, on on uh, on the next weekend and that will, might be a big showdown well travel agencies are really struggling at the moment but klaus jazula is still taking bookings and paderborn's helmeted hardman racked up his 17th caution of the season a new bundesliga record we salute you, Klaus. It's very dangerous uh, for Mainz. And, and um, at, at, at Mainz 05 is a, a team I honestly don't really understand. Because when you look at them, you think there are a lot of good players, actually. But they... Especially um, in attack. Especially in attack. Um, if, if you name Mateta, for example, he, he is one of the better strikers of the Bundesliga. But the parts never really uh, fit together. I mean, there were some some short episodes during the season. So, for example, when Bayer Lotzer was coming in, they were immediately running 5-1 at Hoffenheim, a sensational win. Um, and they had a short, uh, successful streak. But um, I, I, I uh, share the, the doubts that Kevin is having about them, and especially about Achim Bayer Lotzer, that... Um, he didn't manage to get a, a team together and now I think they are in a big and very real danger of going down. Well, I think there's a very real danger that we've run out of time, but my thanks to Christoph and Kevin, my thanks to you, listener. Uh, do check us out when we come back. It might be even before next Monday with a special Watch the Space. See you then. <laughs>